Leicester Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. It's that time of year again when the scourge of wheat farmers rears its ugly head. It's the most yield-robbing thing you can get on any cereal crop in England. No, not Andrew Ward. Blackgrass. Why is it bad? How do you spot it? What can you do to prevent it? We're looking forward to this week's Lincolnshire show and we'll talk monitor farms with the AHDB's latest local recruit. If I'm doing something that I know works, we might as well all share that. Or, or likewise. Plus, of course, market and crop reports and important agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, another beautiful week, but with hosepipe bans being introduced in parts of the country, are we set for some of the wet stuff this week? The five-day forecast at the end of the programme. The tops of blackgrass are poking their heads above wheat crops again. I visited Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward the other day to find out more about this perennial problem. Andrew, firstly, tell us what is blackgrass? So blackgrass is a weed that started off actually in Wiltshire many, many years ago in the 1940s, I think it was. It then was brought across this side of the country and like everything we do in Lincolnshire, we just make things better and we we improve them. (laughs) And so, of course, it then went back over to the west in straw uh, because a lot of livestock have our straw and then, of course, it then spreads across there and and then it, it comes all over the country. To look at this at the moment anyway, it's not black not particularly black, you know, it's a bit grey. How do you actually spot it? How do you know when, it, when it's suddenly appearing? As you quite rightly say, it is a bit grey. It's going off the sort of black stage, and I suppose it never really actually gets black. It gets like a dark grey colour. But now it's flowering and the flowers are starting to drop. It will soon become viable. But you can easily see it now because you've got this sort of tinge, this reddy yellowy tinge, haven't we, across the wheat here. And it's standing slightly above the crop as well. Yeah, it is. We have had a really, really strict regime and a zero tolerance to the weed because we know what it what how bad it is. It's the most yield robbing thing you can get on any cereal crop in England. What problems does it cause? Why is black grass so bad? Because of the seed heads, one ear will have probably anywhere up to 500 seeds in it. The aggressiveness of it means that it really, really decimates the yield of that crop that it's in. Now, it mostly affects wheat, winter wheat, but it can affect spring crops, it can affect beans, it can affect sugar beet, really anything where you're not good enough on your hygiene. And the yield deficit is huge. 100 ears per square metre of blackgrass will knock the wheat yield by one tonnes per hectare. So it, it, and, and 100 ears per square metre is, is not a lot. Control of it is very difficult. All right, so how do you control it? What are you going to do now? Well, there are um, one or two new pre-emergence herbicides that uh, one or two companies have brought out. But to be honest, Steve, I just think throwing everything out of a can at this is a waste of money and a waste of time. And so there are far more things you can do. This patch here, I'm actually going to spray off with Roundup. Now, yes, it, it will kill the black grass, but it's also going to kill the wheat. But I've already worked out the other day that this particular patch, we will lose uh, around about 1.3 tonnes of wheat we'll, when we kill this off. So 1.3 tonnes of wheat at £200 a tonne, roughly, if wheat ever gets to that price again, that's going to be about £260 loss on this area. But the saving that that's going to give us next year, because we're not dropping this seed, 
is going to far more outweigh that loss this year. So that will stop it coming back next year. And you talked about hygiene. Is that the only way you can stop it coming back? And what do you mean by hygiene? When you're harvesting the crop, if you have any fields of black grass or fields of wheat that's got black grass in them, don't go into those at the start of harvest because all you do is spread that black grass around your farm because it will stay in the combine and then the combine drops it out various fields. So any black grass patches or black grass fields, save them to the end of harvest when then obviously you blow your combine down and clean it and then hopefully any seeds in it will go. Another thing we do, so it's vital we stop the seed from that's here now we can see in these ears from dropping so that's one thing is to stop it by spraying it off with roundup we also hand pull everything put them in a bag take them to the end of the field and then we collect, take them off the field and, and get rid of put them in a the wood and they rot down another way is if you've got a bad infestation is stop growing winter crops winter wheat winter barley is really really bad it just keeps encouraging it so go into a spring cropping system is much better because you can kill the black grass in the winter and then before you plant the spring crop the following March, you round up the field again and take out any black grass that's growing. And spring crops are huge, huge help in helping to control it. If you were trying to rely on, on controlling this out of a can, you'd be at least £250 a hectare with all the different products you would have to use. But then you would still only achieve probably 30%, 40% control all right, Andrew, let's hope this is gone soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll do. It'll turn yellow in another week. When we spray it, it'll be all yellow. <laughs> Cheers, Andrew. Thank you. Interesting stuff. And if you've any more tips on controlling blackgrass, do email farming at linksfm.co.uk. Last week saw another successful cereals event. We'll hear plenty from that next week, including a chat with the Farming Minister, Mark Spencer, and NFU President, Minette Batters. This week sees the 138th Lincolnshire show. Really looking forward to that. And from Lincolnshire Agricultural Society, Tim Slight is here to give us a quick preview to the show. Tim, good morning. Morning, Steve. How are you? Looking forward very much like I'm sure you are to uh, this week's show. It's not just for farmers, is it? There's plenty going on for families and kids as well. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's so much to do. Obviously, we try and keep it as traditional as we can, a traditional agricultural show with the trade stands and things like that and the agricultural dealers, uh, livestock and equine. But again, we have a massive general trade area. We have loads of events on for the countryside countryside area for families. We have four and a half thousand school children come. So there's something to do for all ages and all groups. And we've got the aviation zone as well. Yeah, yeah, we've got the aviation zone. So, yeah. We always try and do something a bit different. So, yeah, we've got the aviation zone this year as well, which is going to be something nice to look at. Have we got any people parachuting in this time? Yes, we do, yeah. <laughs> we've got the RF Falcons flying in both days again this year, which is be, be something a spectacular view. Always a great sight to see. So what's new at the show this year, Tim? Uh, well, this year, one of the one things we've done is the blue light zone. So it's where all the emergency services have come together to create a new zone in the crunchside area just to really highlight the you know the really important and great work that they do. And they'll be doing demonstrations in the countryside ring. We've got the potting shed, which is a new addition this year, which is all things horticulture. We have local experts giving demonstrations and talks. The young farmers are doing bale rolling this year for the first time. And then the other thing we've got this year, which is a new thing, is we've got Britain's fittest farmer. So we're a qualifier for the national thing. So it's all about physical exercise and mental health and things like that. So, yeah, we're look, looking forward to that coming this year as well. It will be excellent if Britain's fittest farmer comes from Lincolnshire. Fingers crossed for that. You've got a new way of navigating the show as well, I gather, this year. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah, we've got the app this year as well. So all the stands might be listed on there. 
it's interactive, so it'll highlight where you are on the showground. You put in where you want to go, and it'll give you the shortest routes. Good, good. And with the return of some of the classics, like the wonderful Shetland Pony Grand National, that's always a great sight to see. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a highlight of the show, to be fair. It's a shame we couldn't get them last year, so we're really looking forward to them coming back this year. And fingers crossed for the weather. If it's like it is at the moment, we'll be well away. We will, yeah. Yeah, obviously that's the one thing we can't control, but fingers crossed the, the forecast looks, looks reasonable, so as long as it's dry on Wednesday and Thursday next week, we'll be fine. Fingers crossed, as you say. So the show's on Wednesday and Thursday this week. Gates open at 8 o'clock. Tim, where can we go for more information and to get those tickets? Uh, you can still buy advanced tickets online through the website. Uh, we've also got various ticket outlets throughout the county, which are listed on the website. Or if you are close to the showground, just pop in and we can sell you some in the office. So that's lincolnshireshow.co.uk, Tim, yep? Yeah, that's right, Steve, yep. Lovely. All right, Tim, look forward to seeing you on Wednesday and Thursday. Have a great show. Thank you very much. Time to join Sean Sparling now, our crop doctor, for a walk through the fields. Morning, Sean. Can't believe it's Lincolnshire showtime already. Morning, Steve. I know, and I shall be returning to my commentary duties in the main ring for the Grand Parade of Livestock at the show both days. It's been a couple of years since I spouted my wisdom out there, thanks to COVID initially and then losing my mum and dad. But back there this year and really looking forward to that. Just such a great way to spend a couple of days. It takes your mind off what has been and what indeed still is a very difficult, frustrating season. So a couple of days at the show, catching up with family and old friends just sounds like the very tonic eye and I'm sure an awful lot of other people need. Short and sweet this week, thanks mainly to the weather of the past seven days. Despite the promise of thunderstorms and rain last weekend, of course, we saw not even a drop of the stuff on my patch. I know they got wet down Nottinghamshire way, but closer to home around Lincoln, not a drop. What we did see, though, were temperatures in the low 30s and plenty more of the windy stuff through the early part of the week, which then dropped to the mid to high 20s for the rest of the week. But that blustery wind stayed as a very annoying feature. And that meant that any spraying that was done this week had to be done either in the very early mornings before the heat and the wind got up or much later in the evening once the heat dropped back and the wind calmed down in order to make them effective and not scorch the crops. So a really frustrating week of weather then and we asked the gods of thunderstorms to be kind to us last weekend but unfortunately the gods of rain took the hump at that request too by the looks of it and kept it to themselves. The dry spell continues to concern everybody then and everything is just that little bit more desperate for a drink than it was this time last week. T3 applications on wheat, they've been picked off as best people could as the oppressive conditions allowed us. It's been really noticeable in the last seven days too that not only are the current dry conditions causing leaf chlorosis and leaf loss, particularly on the sandier land, but also we're now starting to see nutrient deficiencies in the base of many of the crops on the heavier land too, thanks to these dry conditions, showing up all over the shop actually. And that along with a sudden resurgence of yellow rust means that tailoring your T3 to account for both nutrition Direction on the upper canopy and further control of yellow and indeed brown rust are prerequisite for T3 this year. Septoria tritici, of course, pretty widespread too, as I keep saying, and it's a year that will go down as a big disease year, of that I'm absolutely sure. But to be blunt, T1 and T2 were the timings for controlling Septoria tritici. So if you're still being told to chase Septoria tritici at growth stage 67, where we are now, you're just a few weeks too late. You know, it should have been dealt with to the best of your ability much earlier than this. So don't get too hopeful about the likely results of trying to deal with it at this stage. Also worth making sure that any outstanding T3 tickets that you've had for a week or two are still safe to apply. Cut-off timings of fungicide do vary by product. 
So read the labels and stay safe and most importantly, stay legal. Too late timing wise to control broadleaf weeds and grass weeds now. So again, check any outstanding tickets carefully. First flowers appearing in the earlier and more crop-like crops of peas and beans. PA feeds easy enough to find in combining peas. They of course carry pea nation virus. Little in the way of black aphids in the peas yet. Odd ones popping up in the spring beans, but colonies of black aphid now beginning to appear in winter beans quite widely. Always work to threshold around 10 percent of plants infested when it comes to black aphid in bean they always look a lot worse than they are and are always far more prevalent and easily found on the headlands so do get out into the field get up the tram lines have a look if you do start hitting threshold and the predators aren't managing that problem for you then perimicarb is a pretty good option at this stage in beans and peas for that matter you get that vapor activity from perimicarb within the canopy and that lasts about five days to seven days if the weather's with you so not only will it last significantly longer than the 30 minutes or so you'll get from a pyrethroid it's far more effective on the pest itself and it's much kinder to those little beneficials like the bees and the ladybirds etc that call your crop home pea moth traps out now as i said last week and thresholds being reached and exceeded over the last few days because of the conditions working to threshold of course crucial for control of pea moth so when you check every two days and you find 10 or more moths on two consecutive visits that is your threshold reach the presence of one moth found in vining pea traps by the way that's the threshold in vining peas so that's when the pgro app on your phone or a visit to the pgro.org website comes in you put in the date that the threshold was hit and you'll get a likely timing for the first insecticide treatment in your area which is based upon the weather data from your area usually about 14 days or so from threshold being reached to the target timing but do check your pgro website for your area these moths are a dull coppery brown color black and white markings on the leading edge of the four wings about six mil long. Mises persicae still a treatable threat in sugar beet that's below 12 leaves. Once they reach 12 leaves the threshold drops from one wingless nymph per four plants to one wingless nymph per plant. The plant's own inbuilt resistance kicks in after 12 leaves. So just stay alert and monitor these untreated or early drillings closely. Treating for the sake of treating, by the way, or as a routine, should be avoided at all costs. It's expensive chemistry and it should only be used if and when necessary and never as an insurance spray. Spring barley really struggling out there in these later drillings in particular. Still a lot of very thirsty barley crops across the county that would really benefit from a good drop of rain. Hopefully the forecasters are closer to the mark than this week than they were last week and that we do get a drop or two on Tuesday. To be honest, if it tips it down while I'm commentating on Wednesday and Thursday afternoon at the show, I'll take that. I don't mind standing in the middle of that ring commentating on the cows, sheep and the horses with no one listening because they've all legged it into a tent thanks to a sudden downpour being soaking wet down to me underpants if that's how the weather wants to play it then bring it on and of course this humid hot weather is potentially going to increase the risk of potato blight so it's been fairly dry and cold thus far so the risk hasn't been that high but with irrigators now going blight programs should be well underway in all but the smallest of crops could be a good year as well to make sure that mancozeb goes in with every blight spray this season it's a multi-site inhibitor that will not only add to the blight control itself but it'll help to protect the other actives and slow down down the build-up of resistance and of course it adds alternaria control too so you know what they say steve it's always at its driest just before it rains so it must be nearly dry enough now to trigger a drop or two of rain mustn't it let's hope so and let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean see you at the show where i'm doing a bit of beekeeping the things i do for radio (laughs) 
The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. The AHDB's Monitor Farm Programme is now in its 10th year and has some new recruits, including Joe Fisher from Manor Farm near Bingham in Nottinghamshire, who I visited the other day. Joe, you've recently become a Monitor Farm. What is a Monitor Farm? So a Monitor Farm is working with AHDB. We sort of act as a meeting farm to firstly look at our business and what we're doing uh, and and offer ourselves up, I guess, as a bit of a uh, insight and allow people to help us review our own business and offer either critiques or ideas of what we could change. And so we have one meeting in the summer and a farm tour to sort of set the scene and invite really what areas we want to look at in depth. And then we should have a series of winter meetings, I think four across the winter that will focus on areas we're looking at at a business and hopefully other people in the area will be interested in. When they say monitoring, are they monitoring you or are you monitoring each other? I mean, what's the kind of objective of it? Yeah, it's a funny one, the word monitor. I think it's basically to act as a place where we can monitor the activities we're doing and seeing if they're working well or they're not working or what might need changing going forward. Yeah, it's sort of for everyone to monitor um, Yeah, how we're doing and, and where we could improve and, and share that wider with the you know guys who come to the meetings okay so you're exchanging ideas yeah. and practices for, for, it's, to it's, make things better all around i guess yeah i guess it's the it's the knowledge transfer bit of ahdb they've got these massive banks of information and it acts as the way of dispersing it so what brought you to actually become involved in the scheme yeah, and looked into it and I thought, yeah, it's probably a, a good opportunity to share what we're doing and we're doing some things, I think, OK. We're doing some things not very well and, you know, really open us up for <laughs> hopefully some critique, not all criticism. Yeah, hopefully help everyone improve, really. It's a strange industry, farming in some respects, that we're all doing much the same kind of thing, but we're not really in competition with each other. No, not really. Not really. Um, Some people might feel there's an element of that. But I think when you look at actually the direct competition, we're generally selling commodities on a, you know, global market. Um, So in that element, we're not particularly and we ought to be probably working together a bit more. And so, yeah, I think I think working together more and more going forward, it will be important. Okay, And how long are you actually in the scheme for? So we start this year and I believe it runs for three years. And we will report back because we do all the um, financial benchmarking with the HDB Farm Bench. So are they looking at your sort of financials and yields and your practices? They actually go through your business in in fairly fine detail, do they? Yeah, we'll have an absolute full breakdown. Um, we're in a local benchmarking group, which is sort of tied in with the HDB. Um, so there's about five or six of us. Um, and, and we've got, yeah, ab- absolutely all our figures, you know, down to the last pence um, and as accurate as, as we can get them. So it, it is very good to pinpoint, um, you know, where we're doing OK and where we're, where we're not particularly that good. Joe, interesting stuff. Good luck with your time as a monitor farm and thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thank you. You can see Joe's story and get more on the programme at ahdb.org.uk slash monitor farms. Links FM Farming. 
Market Reports. Starting with livestock from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth. Started with the prime cattle steers to 292 pence per kilo and 1,790 pounds for F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe. Heifers to 288 pence per kilo or 1,527 pounds for John Thurlby of Kexby. And bulls to 286 pence per kilo or 1,692 pounds for Pitcher Farms Limited. On to the lambs and an SQQ of 303.67 pence per kilo with an all-in average of 303.9 pence per kilo, showing that those heavier-weighted lambs most in demand. Topping for Scribblesby Farms Limited at 339 pence per kilo, or Ashley Barker of Allthorpe at £175 per head. On to the prime hogs, an all-in average of 193.79 pence per kilo, with meated hogs still in demand. Topping for JG Farrow & Co of Thornton Abbey at £121 per head, or AJ Colson & Sons of Osgoby at £263 per kilo. On to the cool ewes, 113, all-in average, £90.77. It must be said that all ewes included in the averages, with the vast majority this week grazing, ewes and requiring further feeding, to top for Emma Benge, would have sparred £152 per head. Finally, just a couple of ewes and lambs, top for Will Farden at £53 per life, and a handful of uh, new season store lambs, top at £42 per life also. Huge thank you to everyone that's been in support this week, both buyers and vendors. We're back on tomorrow with all classes of prime, cool and store cattle and all classes of prime, cool and store sheep. And don't forget that this Wednesday and Thursday, the 21st and 22nd of June, is the Lincolnshire Show. Uh, you will find myself in the sheep or cattle lines both days. So if you want to pop along and have a chat uh, about any livestock or marketing of stock, please do not hesitate to do so. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with a look at the grain markets, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Good morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Another week of rinse and repeat as Russia again threatened to terminate the Black Sea Grain Initiative upon its expiry in July. They repeated their assertion that their demands had not been met despite shipping record amounts of wheat this season. They said they had been cheated by the West with the EU a major recipient of grain shipments, which was key source of revenue for the Ukraine. The flow of vessels via the corridor has slowed to a trickle as Russia continued to frustrate inspections, so arguably an end to the agreement will make little difference in the near term. What happens once the deal is off the table is open to debate and could result in fresh attacks on Ukrainian port infrastructure. Transparency in the global wheat market going forward is going to be difficult, with Russia reportedly setting the floor price which exporters should not sell below. The rogue seller Egypt last week at $11 below the floor price was told to retract it by the Kremlin. In the meantime, there are reports of Russian wheat being sold below the floor price which begs the question, when you are already the cheapest seller, why sell cheaper? The loser, it would appear, is the Russian farmer. There is little doubt that the weather is less than ideal for growing crops in many parts of the globe. Wheat areas of concern are the US winter and spring crops, Canada, Australia, Northern and Western Europe, China, Balkans, the Baltic, Kazakhstan, Ukraine and the Russian spring wheat crop. The Indian monsoon is behind schedule and the government has banned the stockpiling of wheat as prices continue to rise. Cue the USDA raising their crop 3.5 million, which makes no sense. So looking at barley this week, as indicated last week, ongoing dry weather in Denmark has caused sharp price rises in Scandinavia. At present, with more showers of rain in many areas of the UK and France, spring barley crops continue to look good. Ironically, rain has fallen for the first time for a long time in Spain and southern Europe, but not in the north. 
With feed grains showing little sign of improvement, the malting premium for new crop has increased over feed and is now at £60 per tonne in some areas of France and the UK, and some malting barley growers are now fixing a percentage. Windsor barley is looking excellent with Kraft making some good premiums for October-November. There has been no fresh trade for old crop malting barley for some time. Openfield is loading its last two boats from Portsmouth and Sharpness before the end of June, so this is really the last call for any odd loads of Laureate or Planet which you still have left to sell. Oilseed rape, Matif rapeseed has continued to recover, closing up four days running and nearing €450 before finding resistance. Soybeans, palm oil and crude oil have all added support as concerns over dry weather conditions underpin the market. Soybeans have climbed on the worries about crop stress in the US and Midwest. The USDA reported a larger than expected declines in its weekly condition ratings on Monday, rating 59% of the soybean crop as good to excellent, down 3% from the prior week, as the below average expectations of a 2% drop. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for old crop, please do speak to your open field farm business manager. But new crop off the combine August 173 to 181, November 186 to 196, February 189 to 199 and May 2024 192 to 202. Premiums are currently circa pounds for new crop milling wheat. July feed barley 145 to 154, August 148 to 158, November 157 to 167, February 160 to 170 and May 24 163 to 173. Oil seed rape July 333 to 343, August 338 to 348 and November 348 to 358 with limited carries going forward at the moment. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, we were promised rain last week, but very little materialised. However, there is plenty forecast today and showers through the week. Temperatures are staying in the mid-20s Celsius all week. Winds generally light and variable, and rain is on the cards most days. Heavy today and Tuesday, lighter for the rest of the week. Finally, a great result for this year's Open Farm Sunday with over 170,000 people visiting over 250 farms last week and for Lincolnshire World's Tractor Run, which attracted 55 tractors and raised £3,500 for Marie Curie Cancer Care. Hope to see you at the Lincolnshire Show this week. I'll report back from that and cereals next week and look ahead to the upcoming groundswell. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.